Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's so good to have all of you with us, all of our churches today, as we begin a four-week conversation. And we're answering this question, what makes you happy? Now, here, here's why this question is so important for all of us, especially in this season. See, all of us were dealing with tensions that were not part of our lives a week ago. All of us are dealing with unknowns and unanswered questions that were not even on our radar like a week ago. And see, here's the thing. While all of us have dealt with crisis, what has happened at a global level is unlike anything that we've ever seen or experienced in our lifetime. I mean, with the threat of the coronavirus, our personal emotional worlds, and many of our lives have been disrupted beyond anything that we ever really imagined could happen, not just at a personal level, but even at a global level. And here's what happens. Whenever a crisis hits, it is always a cause for fear and anxiety. That is just a normal reaction. And, and that fear and anxiety, what it does, it, it threatens to destroy any hope of happiness that we might have. But here's what we're going to discover over these next few weeks. Crisis doesn't have to destroy our hope of happiness. Because here's what we're going to learn over these next four weeks together, and that is this. There are some principles and there are some practices that can really serve as a foundation for us to experience happiness in our lives, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation. And here's what we know, especially with that all that is happening around us right now, that can seem almost impossible to think, I can live my life without fear and anxiety, and I can experience happiness in this season. But please hear this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into a world that was filled with disease, that had no cures available for them, a world where there was plagues and poverty and violence was rampant. And here's what Jesus said. He said, here's how you can be happy in the middle of all of this chaos. Now, some, some of your posse sitting there thinking, uh, wait just a minute, I'm not even sure that God is actually concerned with whether I'm happy or not. In fact, for some of you, that, that may be why you walked away from church because you got the feeling God doesn't really care about my happiness and I can't be a Christian and be happy too. Or maybe somebody told you, you might've heard this statement, God doesn't want you happy. He wants you to be holy. And they use that deep voice, you know. Or maybe you, you knew some Christians and, and, and those Christians, they, they were like the most unhappy people that you knew. So you walked away from Christianity, you walked away from God because you didn't want to go through life unhappy. But while happiness might seem like something that God doesn't care about, that's not the case because God created you with a desire and a capacity for happiness and he wants you to find happiness no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance, through your relationship with him, through your relationship with others, which means he wants you to believe and he wants you to behave more and more like him and in this way, find what it looks like to be happy. Now, Jesus, while he was here on this earth, he actually taught a lot about happiness. In fact, in the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us eight descriptions of the attitudes and the behaviors of happy people. And here's why these eight descriptions matter to us. Because they guide us to an insight that is key to bringing you happiness or helping you experience happiness in your life, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. In fact, each one of these eight statements that Jesus says leads to us experiencing happiness, no matter our circumstance, is going to feel a little counterintuitive to us. Now, each of these eight descriptions, they start with the phrase, blessed are. Now, the interesting thing about the word blessed here is it actually means fortunate or happy. So right at the beginning of Jesus' most famous message, Jesus says, if you want to be happy, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, here's how you should think. Here's how you should behave. So let's look at these eight statements, these eight descriptions that Jesus gives us. And we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, the thing you need to understand as we look at verse 1 
In verse 1, we get the context for how the sermon begins, and then we begin to move into, in verse 2, the first description. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. This is interesting. Jesus is now teaching his disciples in a world that is just filled with so much uncertainty at that point in time, a world that was just overwhelming to the disciples and the Jewish people in so many different ways. He says, here's how you can be happy, and he began to teach them that. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Literally, you could say, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the great myths of all times is that rich people, financially secure people, are happy people. And right away, what Jesus does is he comes against that myth and he says, no, happy people are the people who are poor in spirit. Now, to be poor in spirit means that you acknowledge no matter how much you have or how little you have, that you are completely dependent on God for everything. See, people who are poor in spirit, they wake up every day with this mindset, with this attitude. God, I am completely dependent upon you, no matter if I have a lot or if I have nothing. Now, here's why being poor in spirit is really key to happiness. See, Jesus knew that the moment that you put your trust in anything else other than your heavenly father, if you put your trust in riches, if you put your trust in stuff, if you put your, your trust in anything else other than trusting your heavenly father who provides for you, Jesus knew that puts you on a path to unhappiness. Because see, the moment that you transfer your trust from your heavenly father to your riches, to your opportunities, to your health, to your education, to whatever you have, all that stuff that we look to in our world for security, you start down the path of unhappiness. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This threat of the coronavirus is a great example of how important this attitude is in our life and how true this is. Because one day, most people are living along thinking, okay, everything's good. I got my world under control. And then we wake up and there's this global epidemic. Because see, what Jesus is telling us is, no matter who you are, what you have, don't have, you still got to depend on God every day. You got to completely trust him because see, when you put your trust in external things to make you happy, what you really do is you take upon yourself the responsibility to control outcomes of your life. And while we can influence some outcomes and it's why we've made the decision to go digital this, um, this weekend, none of us ultimately, we've learned again through this last week that none of us can control ultimately the outcomes of our life. And this past week, I mean, it proved that with an exclamation point. So Jesus is saying, when you try to take control of your outcomes totally upon yourself, you take on a responsibility that is way too big for you to carry, which is why Jesus said, the happy people are the people who recognize I am completely dependent upon my heavenly father as my provider, no matter how much I have or how little I have. So Jesus says that's the first attitude, complete dependence on God. And then Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn. And this word mourn in the original language, it has the idea of people who are mourning for someone who has died. They're grieving someone's death. So he says, happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, don't miss this because most of us, when we hear a statement like that, we don't think of happy and mourning going together. So why does Jesus say happy are those who mourn? Well, if you really stop and think about it, People who grieve well, people who mourn well, are people who are spiritually and emotionally connected. They are people who recognize they don't run from the fact that there are bad things that happen in this world. These are the people that are willing to walk into those moments of death and sorrow and grief and face it full on. They embrace the fact that death and sorrow and suffering are actually part of life. 
And because they embrace that, whenever there is difficulty or suffering or pain or sorrow or death, they, they don't lose their confidence in God. They don't lose their confidence and trust in the God who created us and sustains us. And here's the truth about this one. You know, there's not a whole lot of people that live with this attitude of complete trust in God. And, and here's why, because we tend to want to live in a pain avoidance world, in, in, a, in a culture that wants to avoid suffering at any cost, and, and, and we'll do that. We, we don't want to have to grieve. In fact, we'll do anything to avoid having to lean in when there's a death and there's that kind of sorrow. So we try to kind of sanitize death oftentimes in our culture. And Jesus says, listen, if you try to push back away from that, if you try to avoid the reality of suffering and sorrow, you're never going to be happy. And what we mean by that when we say we try to avoid that, when a person tries to spend so much energy and time trying to avoid something that's inevitable, Jesus said that ultimately robs you of happiness. So Jesus is like, well, let me help you understand what makes you happy. Happy are those who face life. They understand that life is difficult, that there are hardships, that life has sorrow, and, and sometimes life will come to an end, and, and they're willing to face it and feel it and embrace it and be part of it. I'll never forget when I really started learning this lesson well. Some years ago, my wife's father, he passed away, and that was the first parent that either my wife or I had lost. And you can only imagine the grief if you lost a parent or if you have both of your parents. You can only you imagine what it would be like to lose one of them. And he was a wonderful man, and, and he had man, he'd been such a um, prayer warrior in my life. And I had grown to love him very deeply. And I remember um, going through that funeral experience and trying to push back the pain that I was feeling. And then in the process of that, soon after the funeral experience, um, Melody, my wife, she had a school teacher, a teacher that was her teacher, a lady who was her teacher in high school. Um, she talked to her about this death process. And she said, Melody, um, you just got to lean in to death. You, you got to walk into the darkness of it. And she kind of used this word picture of you, when, when you experience death, because death is reality, you, you walk into the darkness of the forest and you just keep walking deeper and deeper into that darkness and you feel that grief. And I remember I, I didn't want to feel that level of grief. But she said, no, you walk into that because as you walk into the darkness of that forest, as you walk and walk and walk, on the other side is the light of God's healing grace. On the other side of grieving well is the light of God's healing grace. See, this is why Jesus says, hey, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. Because now when I think about my father-in-law, oh, I get choked up. But man, it's because I'm so appreciative and joyful for what he taught and the person he was in my life. See, Jesus says, hey, happiness happens when you embrace that there is so much more to life than this life. And you realize that, hey, this is just the warm-up act for the next life. And, and you grieve. You grieve well. He says, that's the second attitude. And there's more. Here's what he says in verse 5. He says, blessed are the meek, or literally happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, most of the time when we think about meekness, we, we don't think of it from a positive light. We often think of meekness as a negative thing. But the truth is, meekness is this powerful character trait. Because meek people, they, they are selfless people. Meek, meek people understand, hey, it's not about me. They're always not looking to be the center of attention. Their attitude is, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity that comes my way, but I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to struggle to be something beyond what God has called or enabled me to be. 
Like meet people say this, I am content to accept the place where God has placed me and I'm not just going to strive on the inside. I'm not just going to stay here and struggle on the inside to go further than what God has called or gifted me or equipped me to go. Please understand this. Meekness is not weakness. He says, meek people, they will inherit the earth. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is just simply acknowledging based on God's estimation and God's evaluation of me, based on who God has created me, and within the context of all of God's greater creation, Jesus says, hey, if you want to be happy, embrace and enjoy the gifting and the talents and the abilities that God has given you and use those to bless others. Instead of always striving, trying to figure out how to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to make you more prominent or more powerful or give you a more powerful seat at the table, he says, embrace meekness because that leads to happiness. And notice what else Jesus says in the next verse. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this word righteousness has the idea, blessed are those or happy are those who hunger and thirst for doing things right, doing life right. In other words, he's saying, happy are those that have no guilt, no regret. Happy are those that have a clear conscience. Happy are those who commit to doing the right thing, even when it costs them. Happy are those who recognize that sin breaks down my relationship with myself and sin breaks down my relationship with other people and ultimately my relationship with God. See, Jesus says, happy are those who are leaning in and asking the tough questions. And I'm telling you, folks, this question is probably more important for all of us. And it's even why we made the decision to go digital this weekend. And that is this. They're asking this question, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? And I just want to challenge all of you, even as we're facing this crisis, this question works. In fact, it really is the best question in a crisis. Now, here's the thing. If you look back over your life, there's a lot of times when you didn't ask yourself this question. In fact, some of you might find yourself in a season of life right now, and you know you don't like where you're at, and you know not doing the right thing created unhappiness for you, which is why what Jesus is saying here, it may not be popular in our culture, and it may sound really religious, but Jesus says, listen, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those with nothing to lose, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. There's more. Verse 7, he says, blessed or happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, I'm just going to say in this season, this is so important because what does merciful mean? Basically, merciful means happy are the relationally generous people. And by relationally generous, we mean that people who are not seeking for themselves, they're not looking for personal revenge. It's, it's those people who forgive, those people who don't hold a grudge, those who don't allow bitterness in heart, their hearts toward others, and, and those who are not waiting to be paid back from some previous season of their life. Because you need to know this, you've never met a happy, bitter person, have you? I mean, like you've never met a person who, who holds a grudge that you would consider happy. You've never met a happy person who's waiting to be paid back from some previous relationship. But what you have met are people who decided to be relationally generous in their life, to extend to that boss exactly what that boss didn't deserve, to extend to that ex-husband or to extend to that ex-wife exactly what that ex-husband or wife didn't deserve. They were relationally generous, even though they were never paid back, even though they never got revenge, even though they never got that apology from that person who offended them, and that person never fully owned up to it, they were happy. They were able to move on from that season of their life where they were wronged or wounded to a new season and experience happiness because they were relationally generous. And then look at the next verse, verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Literally, happy are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Now, this is a very interesting statement from Jesus because what Jesus is asking, in essence, is, would you like to see so clearly in life that you really could recognize what God is up to in this world and where God is at work? Like, would you like to be able to see so clearly in life that you would be able to recognize God's plan for your life? Would you be like to recognize what God wants to do in your decisions and the tough decisions, whether it has to do with relationships or money or your future or your career? Like, would you be like to be able to look at circumstances, situations that you're experiencing, even situations like we're experiencing right now and other opportunities to see what leads to trouble and what leads to a place where you'll be able to avoid regret in your life? I think all of us would like that kind of clarity. I think all of us would say, yes, I would love the kind of clarity that I can see clearly what God is up to. In fact, some of you right now, this is a real issue because here's the reality. Fear, anxiety, worry, it always tests your purity. Don't miss that. Fear, anxiety, and worry, it always tests your purity. Because see, in times of crisis, it is so tempting to say, well, I normally wouldn't do this. But man, it's just been so hard, or times have been so hard, or I just need to blow off some steam, or I just need some relief, or you don't know what I'm going through. And Jesus says, hey, I just want you to know the clarity that you need for life it is found in purity. So if you want to have clarity about life, stay away from sin because purity leads to clarity. But then Jesus continues, verse 9, happy are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And if there was ever a time that we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ need to be living this one out, this is the season. Think about it. Jesus says, happy are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Why is that true? Because see, your heavenly father, he has gone all out to make peace with you. So much so that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross to take on your sin debt and my sin debt and the sin debt of the whole world. And what Jesus is saying is when you go all out to make peace with other people, you are then acting like your heavenly father. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because they are acting like their dad and they're gonna, the people are gonna look at them and call them, man, they're, they're children of God. I mean, think about it. Do, do you know any... Happy people who are troublemakers. When you think about that person that you work with, that's always stirring it up, or that person in your school that always stirring it up, or that person in your small group that might always be stirring up, do you consider those people happy? Jesus says, no, there, there's no happiness found in troublemaking. Happiness is found in peacemaking, which means Happy people are the people who walk into relationships in their life that are broken and they make peace. Happy people are people of reconciliation rather than people of revenge. Jesus says, when you make peace in your life, it makes you happy. And then there's this eighth description of happy people and it's found in verse 10. And this is so counterintuitive, but listen to these words. He says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of right living, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then he takes it even a step further. He says, blessed or happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. And then he says, and here's what you should experience out of that. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when most of us read those verses and hear that statement from Jesus, we don't see any connection between being persecuted, insulted, lied about, and happiness. Because in our minds, they're not connected at all. Because if I'm being persecuted for doing the right thing, if I'm insulted for doing the right thing, if I'm lied about for doing the right thing, in our minds, that is not a formula for happiness. 
But see, Jesus is reminding us of this. In your life, you're going to be persecuted. In your life, you're going to be mistreated. In your life, there are going to be difficult things that are going to happen to you. So the question is, do you want to be mistreated for doing the right thing? Or do you want to be mistreated for doing wrong things? Because see, you can be happy when you suffer for doing the right thing. You can be happy doing the right thing and facing consequences. However, you cannot be happy doing the wrong thing and facing the consequences for decisions that you should have never made. So Jesus gives us eight attitudes. Eight attitudes and behaviors that Jesus says, if you have this attitude, in fact, it's why it's often called the be attitudes. These are the blessed are you attitudes, the happy are you attitudes. He says, if you live out these attitudes, it will lead you to experiencing happiness no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation. He says, this is the mindset, this is the attitude, this is the behavior. And as as we've gone through those this morning, I mean, that may surprise some of you, but if you think about it, all of them make a lot of sense. So out of these eight attitudes that Jesus says makes us happy, what is the common denominator? Well, what is the takeaway from all of these? Like, what is that one thing that perhaps could be life-changing for some of you as you're struggling to be happy in this season, this season of fear and uncertainty? and anxiety. Well, what Jesus leads us to understand in all these statements is this, is that happiness is an outcome. Happiness is a result. In other words, happiness is a result of doing something now, having a certain attitude and behavior now that leads us to experiencing something later. Happiness is more about later than immediate. Happiness is not always immediately accessible. That means that you can't just hear a song or maybe read this good devotional or read this great book or go to your small group or just listen to today's message and and, and walk away from it and go, you know, I was unhappy about an hour ago, but now I'm like really happy. Jesus says, no, you need to understand true happiness It's a lot deeper than that. Happiness is an outcome. In fact, here's how Jesus might would say this in 21st century. He says, if you sow these attitudes and behaviors, these beatitudes in your life, you reap your way to happiness. I mean, if you think about it, it, the same is true with unhappiness, right? Because if some of you were honest, you would say, I have sown and then I have reaped my way into unhappiness. See, that place that you are right now, that place that you wish you could avoid, that place that you wish you had not arrived because you sowed and you reaped your way to that place, which is now a place of unhappiness. See, some of you, you have sown your way there. In fact, Some of you, in light of this virus scare that we're experiencing, which is uh, so real in all of our lives, you're starting to make some choices out of fear that in the long run, you're, you're going to reap more unhappiness than happiness for yourself. So Jesus is saying to all of us, hey, I got some great news. Just like you sow and you reap your way into unhappiness, you can sow and reap your way out of unhappiness And he can help us sow and reap our way to a happy life. See, this is why at the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, this one that he, we just looked at the beginning, the eight attitudes and behaviors, Jesus gives us this parable. And Jesus says at the end of this parable or this sermon, he says, you need to understand how to be stable and experience happiness in your life even when life sends storms. Notice what happens in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, these eight attitudes, these eight behaviors that we just talked about, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And everybody listening understood what Jesus was saying. Because see, building your house on a rock, it takes planning. You have to survey the land. You have to think ahead. You have to build just in the right location. And it's going to take some time. And the location at first may seem less than desirable. But a house built on a firm foundation, it will stand the test of time. It will stand the storm. But Jesus isn't done with the parable. He says this in verse 26. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine, including these eight attitudes, these eight behaviors that he calls us to have, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. Now, don't miss this. There is no immediate consequence for building on the sand. I mean, at first it seems easy, may even seem more attractive at the time, but the parable tells us, if you go and look at the parable, eventually there was a storm, and the same storm hit both houses. And at the end of the storm, the man whose house was built on the sand had nothing but regrets, nothing to show for it. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. If you have put the time and the effort into building in these attitudes, these behaviors in your life, if you have sown happiness into your life, then when a storm comes, you can stand firm because you understand that you can be happy no matter what the circumstance or the situation because happiness is really an attitude of the heart. It's really an attitude of the heart that is totally dependent on Jesus Christ as our supply, our source, and our strength. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you've taken the time, energy, and effort and sown happiness, you know that what I'm saying is true. But here's the good news Jesus is also saying. If you have built your foundation of happiness on the sand, you can change that foundation. And how do you do that? You decide to embrace meekness. You, you decide, especially now when tension and uncertainty is so high, to be relationally generous, to become a merciful person. You decide that I, I'm going to sow the attitude of being a peacemaker from now on, like no matter what it costs me, I'm also going to be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness to do the wise thing. E even like when it feels like the world is around me is falling apart, I'm going to do the wise thing. I'm going to pursue purity with my life because purity always helps me to see with clarity. See, happiness Happiness is truly an outcome. And Jesus says, if you will take these attitudes, if you'll take these behaviors and you begin to make them personal in your life every day, when the storms of life come, you'll stand strong and you will still be happy because you've sown and you've reaped your way to happiness and the storm won't take you out. I'm just telling you, folks, in the season that we are in, I want to challenge you more than ever that you go back over these eight attitudes, these eight behaviors, and you begin to pray and you ask God, God, where, where have I built on sand? Where have I done it my way instead of your way? Where have I taken on a worldly attitude or a selfish attitude instead of a godly attitude? Here's what I can tell you all. If you begin to build these attitudes and behaviors of life, Jesus promises when the storm comes, it won't wipe out your happiness. No, you can be happy in the middle of the storm because you know Jesus has got it. So what does Jesus say? What makes you happy? Jesus says, you sow and you reap your way into happiness. You bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be reminded that you're our strength, that you're our source, that you're our supply, even in the middle of the storms. And God, we are living in a season when there is just so much uncertainty and there, there are so many unanswered questions and they're just swirling around us, God, and it could seem like it just could suck away our happiness. But I thank you for your words. They remind us that even the middle of difficult circumstances, things that we don't understand. If we will daily sow and reap, we will reap 
So God, I pray that you help us to sow these attitudes. God, I pray that you help us to sow these behaviors in these difficult days. God, our world needs us to do this. It's what love requires of us. Our world needs us to be merciful in this season. It needs us to be peacemakers in this season. God, it needs us to be meek people and to think others first. God, these attitudes will help us not only to have a stable foundation for our life, but it'll help us to serve others so that we can be salt and light and people can truly say, oh, I was drawn to God because the children of God, they served me well in a season when I was struggling. God, help us to live this out beginning today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us online and we'll keep you informed of what we're gonna be doing for meetings and, and everything that we're gonna do as we move forward. Um, we'll just make sure that everyone's safe. Praying for all of you. Have a great day.